series. And this weekend is the second weekend of the series on Vision 2020, which is all about processing our past, right? Processing our past. Because when it comes to our past, we tend to not learn, right? Which is why I have this helmet up here. You're probably wondering, what has he got a helmet up there for? This is a motorcycle helmet. When I was young, I had Harleys. Uh, it's not a dog, it's a... Anyway, I had Harleys. I had a 1961 panhead, a 1949 panhead. The 49 panhead I totally chopped. It had a suicide clutch. It was awesome. And uh, anyway, but when I was a kid, uh, which is a long time ago, I get it, I get it. I'm just saying, when I was a kid, uh, you did not, by law, have to wear a helmet. Therefore, what did Pastor Mike do? <laughs> I never wore a helmet. Because from my worldview, we were Harley riders. You didn't wear a helmet. That was like dorky, whatever. So I didn't wear one. And how many of you know that's dumb? Okay. I'm just saying. That's how I was. So one time, uh, I grew up in Camarillo, California, which is kind of by Ventura County. And we grew up uh, water skiing and hunting and fishing and whatever and dirt bike riding at Lake Nascimento up by Paso Robles, kind of middle area of, of California, I guess. And we go up there all the time. And one time I was up there. At the time, I was in the Army, so I was probably 18 or 19, and I was on leave. And uh, although I did do boot camp at Fort Ord, which is now a university, which is ironic. Anyway, um, uh, but I was waiting on the side of the road because my buddy, we were going on a run from uh, Lake Nascimento back to Camarillo, and I didn't have my motorcycle, so I was, he was going to pack me on the back of his. He had a rigid frame Harley. Uh, which meant you didn't have any shocks for, for the most part on a rigid frame Harley, which gave it a certain look that was super cool, not that comfortable, but super cool. Anyway, uh, and if you're packing on the back of it, you're sitting on the back tire, basically like an inch off of the back tire. There's really no suspension. You only have the suspension of the tire, and, and you don't have anything to hang on to except the seat itself, and Gary, in this case, my best friend, you can kind of hang on to him, but, you know, that's not too cool for guys, you know, we don't just exactly get on up and hug, so, you know, whatever, and, and so, so we're, we're going down this highway on the way to the dam, and when you went down this highway on the way to the dam, it was pretty straight for about a mile or so, maybe two miles, and then it went into a 180-degree turn into another 180 degree turn, and then you went across the dam. And the, you know, we were going down the highway, we were going, it was downhill, but we were going, you know, 65, 75, something like that, whatever was legal, I'm sure. Anyway, uh, so, but I didn't have a helmet on, and I had jeans on, and I had a t-shirt kind of like this, only not quite so fancy, like a t-shirt, t-shirt, and uh, I had uh, you know, no gloves, no helmet. I, I think I might have had a G Levi jacket on, but kind of like cut off like yours is, Tim, kind of like that look, you know, with probably Harley Angels on the back, as I recall. Anyway, so we're going into this first 180-degree uh, turn, and Gary drops the bike. My best friend, he's, he's, ride, he's driving, and he, he's, he's going too fast in the corner, and he lays the bike down. Uh, and, and when that happened, I have a sort of God's gifted me with, I suppose it applies to surfing, but I, I grew up falling a lot. <laughs> so I learned a lot about falling. I mean, I've fallen a hundred times on dirt bikes by then, which by the way, when I rode a dirt bike, I wore a helmet. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, 
So he drops the bike in the corner. Now, it's a 180-degree corner, so you're not going straight across an asphalt highway. You're going, you know, lengthwise, like you're going on a corner of 180 degrees. When he dropped it, I had this intuitive sense, Mike, don't hit your head. Smart. Anyway, so I had jeans on, so he lays it down. I knew I needed to separate from the bike. You don't want to stay with the bike. That'll grind your right knee off, which happened to Gary. Uh, so instead, I... And I'm on the back tire, right? So he lays it down. So I stab this right hand into the asphalt very purposefully, and I hit this thigh, burn right through my jeans, put a big old giant scar on my leg that I had for many years. It's kind of faded now as I've matured. <laughs> and anyway, uh, so I stabbed this right hand because I wanted to flip in the air because I was heading this way at 60 miles an hour, right? So I knew I had to get that way. So I stabbed this hand in the ground so I'd flip in the air and, and kind of go with the momentum. But there's a cliff over there, so I have to stop myself before the cliff. And I knew this. I've been on this road a lot of times. And so I stab my hand on the ground, I flip in the air, kind of like, now I'm literally flying through the air like Superman, no joke. Like, I'm flying horizontal through the air. Because I timed, it was, it was kind of a miracle, quite frankly. I should have been dead so many times in my life, it's crazy. <laughs> And then I, I had my army boots on, and I didn't want to obviously just, you know, tumble at that speed. So I put my hands down, and, I, and my toes down, and so I kind of like a push-up, and I went sliding across the asphalt, so it was kind of like, like that. That's why I have flat palms right here on both hands. It's more pronounced on my left hand. They've gotten a little fatter as I've grown, but it's pretty flat there. It's kind of weird. Um, most people have like another muscle there. I don't have that. And, and so I went across the asphalt and then into the gravel because on the other side of the gravel is the cliff. So I had to stop myself. So I just dug in with my hands and my toes. I used my boots, wore them out. And I, I just slid across the thing and then I went into the gravel and then it was like... But I stopped. Oh, and I'll never forget getting to the ER in Paso Robles. Ugh. And they took this brush and they brushed all the gravel and stuff out of my hands and forearm, which is why my, I have a little bit of a weird forearm right there. But you would think that after all that, that Mike would learn to wear a brain bucket. Did he? No. No. Thank goodness I didn't keep riding bikes without a helmet, although I did. I did for a couple of years, and I still didn't wear one because I didn't tend to learn the lessons from my past. And the reality is when you're 2019, when you think about it, your past creates patterns. Like in your life, your past... Now, this works both good and bad, all right? Good and bad. Uh, in Scripture, we're going to talk about a kind of painful experience that they have, but it creates patterns in our lives. It's just, it's just the way it is. And like I picked this off the Internet, four mentally damaging things we say to our kids, but then I actually realized, oh, I've done all these, so I called it MikeQuinnsJournal.com. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, when I was raising the kids, like, I would say these kinds of things, things that are marginalizing and shaming because I didn't get it because I didn't know any better. And plus, how do you learn how to parent? From your parents, right? <laughs> and mine were just like normal, whatever. But like, you know how we say, don't be so sensitive, Ryan, when he's six. But he is sensitive. 
So, you know, you need to, like, what, affirm them and love them, hug on them and talk to them about why they're, what's so upsetting about it. Or that one, that's like, oh, that's, li that's just life. That's just the way it is in kindergarten. Get it together. <laughs> or, or, oh, my, this number three was my dad's favorite line. How many of you, this was a common line in your home? Because I said so. Oh, my, wait, pick, put them up high. Holy cow, look at us. No wonder we're so jacked up. <laughs> you know, and again, like, what if, what if people, what if, what if we just said, and I think we even do this with Bible, because the Bible says so. I, I get it, okay? We're going to be in the Bible all day. I'm just saying, why? Why not give us why? Why not give us the why? Why not give us the reasoning of God? Why not to get, especially if you're 10 or something and you ask your dad some question and, or, you know, he says to do something and you don't want to do it because you don't, you've never seen the YouTube video, Simon Sinek. By the way, if you've never seen that YouTube video, you need to write that down in your notes right now. Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. Uh, just Google it in uh, TED Talks. Uh, Google it, uh, Simon Sinek, the why. Tremendous. Most of you who've been in business have seen it. But give him the why. Oh, and then... I remember the first time I ever said these two words. They were pretty much the last time I ever said those two words. <laughs> Teresa, when I said them, she gave me that look. That look, you know, that raised eyebrow look. And said, hey, you know what, Mike? There's a lot of words we're not going to use. I, I used a lot of those too, but... I'm just saying, these two words I had to excise out of my vocabulary. Because, you know, if you raise up a kid saying, shut up, guess what he or she's going to do? That's right. It's like, it's like when you yell at your windshield <laughs> and the kids are in the car. And then they turn like eight, nine, and they start yelling with you. <laughs> anyway. All, all of those kinds of things. And then work-related. This is from uh, Bernard Coleman, a kind of leadership guru. Talks about the four worst leadership mistakes. Maybe you've been leading this way in 2019, the untrustworthy leader, 60,000-foot leader. I call that one, you get so far out in front of the troops, they mistake you for the enemy. Yep. The soloist. You're just, you're just like the veritable pope in your workplace. You know, you just, you just tell them what to do, and, man, they got to do it. And, and it's kind of like because I said so. Uh, leadership. Yeah, let me know how that's working for you. Uh, oh, and the blocker, uh, I, I say it in our teams all the time, I do not want to be the clog in your pipe. So I want to build high-performance teams, quick, fat, nimble teams, so I, I want to help you know how to, like what your gifts are, how you're, what your disc is, how you made, you're made up, how you approach the world, get you going in the right direction, and help you run, right? And that's the deal. Or maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's marriage, you know, like if you think on 2019, you know, I kind of had a commitment to dating regularly because I think I heard Pastor Mike talk about it back in February. But, you know, when I look at my calendar, I really don't have a regular date night. How many of you think that's going to not work well? Raise your hand. If you think, if you don't have a date night, it's not going to work well, right? This is Marriage 101. Marriage 101, you got to have a date night. Well, Pastor Mike, I don't have enough. I've heard this so many times. I don't have enough money to have a date. Dude, you live not in Chicago. You live in San Diego. Longest pier on the West Coast is in your town. 
God's country. Anyway, speaking the truth, prayerfully in love, all these things that we do. Number one reason given for divorce in America is money. So you might think about getting into a Financial Peace University Life Group. It's a nine-week probably experience where you're going to learn how to finance and budget. You say, well, Pastor Mike, I'm super broke. We don't have any money to even think about budgeting. <laughs> That's just so funny. <laughs> uh. How much money has God entrusted you with? All that you have. So, if you don't have enough money, it could be that there's some solutions to that that God wants to help you with. You'll learn about it in there. They won't shame you. They won't, oh, they won't go, oh, man, your budget process is the jacked up thing I've ever seen. They're not going to say that. They'll just help you do it. And then live out our strategy as a church. You know, we call it the three B's. Begin the week in worship. You're here, so you're doing that. Belong to one another in a life group and be the church through serving. Because in that environment, you're going to kind of learn and grow and you're going to be able to process your passion. You're going to be able, able to grow. Now, something super important because it's totally misstated. Listen to me. Time doesn't heal a thing. God heals it. God heals it. Our entire care group ministry is... Uh, formed around this idea. God is the one who brings healing. As we collaborate with Him and, you know, kind of cooperate with Him, He heals. Time isn't going to heal your wounds. Time is just time. It's just going to pass. You're gonna, if you choose bitterness, you're just going to be more bitter then. You know, it's just the way it is, especially in the context of being hurt. Now, uh, somebody answered that, but... but uh, <laughs> But we're going to go to Acts 1, we're going to go to Acts 1, and we're going to discuss and see the art, the art of processing the past, okay? The art of processing the past. And by the way, how many of you have ever had a cell phone go off in an awkward moment? Yeah, so deal with it. Uh, okay, so it, it's the art, okay? We're going to look at three things about processing. We're going to look at acknowledging, this is what art stands for, acknowledging, reading, and trusting, acknowledging, reading, and this is the art form of processing your past, okay? And it's in Acts 1. It's in Acts 1. Go there with me in your Bibles. Now, this year, we're going to spend a lot of time in Acts. We've prayed about it. We've been praying about it for a long time, actually six months. And now we're in it, okay? So for six months, we've been praying about you, what your needs are, what you, you know, biblical needs are, what God wants to speak to us in 2020. A lot of it's going to come out of Acts. We're Beginning uh, in Acts last weekend with Robert, he launched the 2020 series, uh, talked about some infrastructural changes, how we're looking for campus pastor, whatever. And he taught you from Acts 1. And so who wrote Acts? Luke. Very good. What else did Luke write? Yes. Very good. The Gospel of Luke. Um, <laughs> so Luke Acts is like, it's like Luke is the Gospel and it's written, uh, who's Luke's gospel written to? Theophilus. Everybody say that out loud. Theophilus. His, word, his name is two Greek words brought together. Theos, which is the Greek word for God, which is why theology is the study, the logic, the reasoning about God. Okay? Psychology is the study or reasoning about the suke, the soul. Uh, so Theophilus, Theophilus, is the love, phileo, like we have a city named after it. What's the city? Philadelphia. Philadelphia, very good. So 
the city of brotherly love, right? So it's the love of God. That's his name. He's called most excellent Theophilus. Why? Likely he is a government official, no doubt a person of means. Uh, and he has this relationship with Luke. And Luke's writing literally the gospel of Luke and Acts to address a bunch of questions that Theophilus has and that we, ha we have. And, and so it's a great thing. And so Acts is sort of like a sequel, only it's a real good one. Is that too soon? Look, I, look, I saw the I saw Star Wars. Whatever, I, I get it. It was it was good. It was good, but you have to contextualize with moi. I remember with Teresa when we were young, standing in a long line for two hours in Loma Theater on Rosecrans to see the very first Star Wars. Now that rocked. Now that the one we just saw was it was okay. How many of you seen it? Yeah, it was awesome, right? Pretty good. Whatever. <laughs> Acts is the bomb. Acts 1. Jesus, Luke, he's writing to Theophilus. He says Jesus appeared over 40 days to all kinds of different people. Why? Because he's trying to underscore for Theophilus. There is a historical basis of our faith. Theophilus, you do not have to bury your head in the sand to be a Christ follower. You can have your head fully intact. You can be a governor or whatever he is. We don't know exactly what he was. You can be whatever you are and, and in a learned community and still be a Christ follower. Our faith is rooted in historic fact. We have all the prophecies that were fulfilled, and Luke does a wonderful job of this, all the prophecies that were fulfilled, written hundreds of years before Jesus, that are fulfilled by Jesus in historical date and time. Our faith is not some gobbledygook, you know, somebody appeared to somebody under a tree, whatever. It was, it's rooted in history, ladies and gentlemen. So you don't have to apologize or back up for being a person of faith, especially a person of the Scripture. You just have to understand how Scripture relates with your world. You have to be able to answer their questions. Like Peter will later write, always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have, yet do it by being a jerk. <laughs> no. He's do it, he says do it with what? Love, specifically gentleness and respect, okay? So Theophilus, Jesus appeared to us, N not us, Luke's not in Acts 1. Luke becomes a Christ follower later. I'll teach you that when we get there. Uh, he appeared to the apostles and the disciples over 40 days in all kinds of different settings. And then he ascends into heaven, but there's this angst in, the, in Acts 1. There's this angst that that the guys still expect Jesus to restore his kingdom the way they see it ought to be restored right now. And Jesus says, no, 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 ixnay on that nay. And, and so he's, that's not to, happening right now. And it's not for you to know the times and dates of such things. I'm returning to the Father. And then, poof, he ascends into heaven in front of their eyes. Now we pick it up at verse 12. So notice, look at verse 12. So they go back from the Mount of Olives to the holy city to the temple area to the upper room which is a sabbath day's walk that's a rabbinic uh kind of emphasis if you will they had to they demarcated like how far was it okay to walk on the sabbath and to still keep the sabbath and so it's a sabbath day's walk it's a certain amount of yards basically and i've walked the mount of olives to jerusalem it's not very far you see it it's close you know you can walk it in i don't know 30 minutes or something like that 
And so they go back. So they're, they're back there, notice, and then verse 13, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. This is the upper room, the upper room, the 12, and then, oh yeah, then Luke names the, the 11. Okay, look. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. Now stop there for a second. That's 11. How many were there? 12. So there is this angst. Now, you need, I, need, I want you to enter into the movie. The movie is this subtle anxiety because all of them have betrayed Jesus. All of them deserted him at the cross. Now, all of them have experienced him in some way since the resurrection. There's about 120 of them. But one of them deserts Jesus in a profound way. His name's Judas, Iscariot. And the other's name's Peter. Now, they've all deser deserted him and betrayed him. I'm just saying, I'm just pointing out the feeling. And so there's this issue, okay? Now, Luke names the apostles, the 11, and then he says something profound. Ladies, raise your hands. I want to see where you are. Ladies, uh, that wasn't a trick question, but... <laughs> so he does something that in a first century context is quite striking. Because in a first century, particularly Jewish world, but generally speaking, a little different in a Roman context, but I'm just saying, in a Jewish context for a century, you were still not quite a person you were something less than. And so Luke does something. Now, Luke is a Gentile. He's writing later. And, uh, you know, but, but he mentions something. Look at what he says. He says, they all join together constantly in prayer. We'll talk about that. And then he says, along with the women. A normal first century writer would never do that. He does it on purpose for you ladies' sake and for you men who happen to still struggle with women in leadership and male chauvinist pigdom, like I was when I was growing up. I was totally an MCP. I'm just, and I'll tell you those stories. You'll see. I'm just saying, he says, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. His brothers weren't followers of Jesus until after Jesus dies and raises from the dead. And they're named in Scripture. Four of them are named. He has a brother named James, who, of course, later, if you don't know, writes the book of James and dies a martyr's death. Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And then in Mark, it tells us that he had at least two sisters. So Jesus had a family of at least seven kids. That's a lot of kids, I'm just saying. That's a lot. How many of you think that's a lot of kids? Like, right? That's a lot of kids. I can't imagine having seven. Although Teresa, my wife, Grew up in a family of seven. Anyway, in those now, there's a geographic shift in verse 15. It says, in those days. Now, when, when Luke shifts gears, he just anticipates your knowledge. This is moving to the Temple Mount now. Now we're on the Temple Mount. In those days, Peter, of all people, Peter, the betrayer, but he had had an encounter with Jesus about that. That's what Jesus wants for all of us. Every time we betray him. He wants an encounter with us. He wants to talk with us about it. Give us forgiveness, clarity. Peter stands up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, 
The scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas. And notice Peter's understanding of inspiration and scripture. Peter's Bible is the Old Testament. So, so what he's saying is the entire Old Testament, he's going to quote Psalm 69 and 109. But he's saying that the way scripture happens is the Holy Spirit inspires a person and then that becomes the word of God. It's, it's an inerrant view. It's an infallible view of scripture that the scripture is without error, that it, it completely reveals the will of God to us as God wants to reveal it. So he says this, and he says, concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus, he was one of our number and shared in our ministry. And then there's this parenthetical comment here that may trouble some of you who know a little bit about scripture. I posted an article on my Facebook about this. I don't want to go into depth explaining it. But it is just, it's a graphic description. Um, but the common way in which we are talked about and Scripture, uh, you know, suggests and talks about, though I could translate that a little bit differently, but what's the common way you know that Judas died? He hung himself, okay? So here's Luke in Acts. Now you can, you can do this. The article, I just go to my Facebook. But it says this. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he felt headlong. His body burst open and all his guts spilled out. Yuck. Anyway, everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called the field in their language Akeldama, that is, field of blood. You have to understand, so Akeldama is Aramaic. Aramaic was the language that Jesus and all the disciples spoke as normal in their world first century Jews. In Jerusalem. Now, we're going to next week be in Acts 2. You don't want to miss next week. I'm just saying, in Jerusalem at that time, Aramaic was the lingua franca. It was the language that everybody spoke. Uh, now, Luke is writing to Theophilus in Greek, and it's later because that's how the majority of the New Testament is written, because it's written to a, the common language of the world is Greek. But Jesus spoke and preached in Aramaic. So the field's called a Akeldama which means the field of blood. And then Peter says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his, speaking of Judas now, may his place be deserted, may, uh, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who's been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus has been living among us. Now, hang on just a second. Why did they have to pick a 12th disciple? I also posted that article on my Facebook there's a lot of detail to it, but it's essentially because the way God did it was he wanted a person, an apostle for every tribe of Israel. How many tribes are there in Israel? Twelve, okay? So there's a lot more to it, but you can read the article. Anyway, choose somebody. Here's the criteria, though, for these 12 apostles. Not the other apostles. These 12. Uh, choose one who's been, uh, who's been with us from the whole time the Lord Jesus was among us beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. What's the name? What's that called? Ascension. That's right. For one of these must become a witness notice, a witness of his resurrection. They're so concerned about witness. Like, will it stand up in a court of law? That's what Luke's after with Theophilus and us. And so they nominated two guys, Joseph and Matthias, basically. And then they prayed, Lord, you know everybody's heart. Show us which one of these you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. 
So if anyone ever asks you, where did Judas go when he died? You don't have to answer it per se. You could say, well, read Acts 1. Peter will tell you where he went. How many of you don't want to go where Judas went? Raise your hand. You get to decide right now. You get to decide. And then they do something super cool. It's the last time in recorded biblical history that it happens. They're choosing between Joseph and Matthias. So they pray. What is this? Yahtzee. Yahtzee. Imar, do you ever play Yahtzee? No. No? We'll have to play. Anyway, it's a fun game. But in the Old Testament, they would cast lots to determine the will of God. It wasn't, by the way, specific to Judaism. It was, in fact, across the planet in world religions. You can Google it. You can see. But this is the last time we have it in Scripture. Why do they? Why is this the last time, Pastor Mike? Because I wish it could still do it. You know how cool that would be, right? Should I marry this lady? <laughs> Which university should I go to? Should I move to this house? What's the stock market going to do in 2020? <laughs> we just had a banner year. Grew by the most. It's grown in 10 years. Think of the power of it. <laughs> but we're pre-Pentecost. Next week we'll be in Pentecost. We're in Acts 2. And, and we'll see that God now is going to give the Spirit to everybody. And that's how we discern the will of God today. Now, there are times, especially in my family right now, <laughs> I wish I could shake the dice, but I can't. So, what steps would God take, have us take, okay, toward processing 2019 in our case? Now, they're processing a big pain, okay? And the A in art stands for acknowledging, acknowledging the past in safe community, which is why I want you to build your safe community. You need to get in a life group. You need to get on a serve team. You need to do it for you first. Remember, you cannot give away what you do not have. You do give away what you don't have. So your behavior shouts your values, and the children are watching, and the grandchildren are watching, and they are constantly watching. You can't even stop them from watching. They watch you like a hawk. And you got to build this community. I can't build it for you. You must build it for yourself. I can talk to you about it. And that's how they were. They, they lived this life early on. And they're processing it together. Like there's a, Now, there are 120 in this group. So this is that 120 number. But, but, but there's the 11. So they're processing this pain, this difficulty. And they're talking about how Judas was one of our number. He shared in our ministry. So they're, they're processing it in a safe community. I never advocate processing your pain in an unsafe community. You know, you need to trust people. We'll get to trust. But you need to trust people who are safe. You need to, but you have to know them. Remember, love is given, trust is earned. If you trust an untrustworthy person, that's the life of a fool. Proverbs talks about it all the time. That's foolish, foolishness. You know, I'm not advocating, you know, you standing up and telling us all your pain right here in the middle of this room of 200 people and just blah, 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 right? That's not healthy, generally. There are exceptions to it, but why, whatever. And if we don't address the past, we'll repeat it. We'll just repeat it. 
you know, he's doing, he's, he, he's, he's kind of getting them to think it through, what, what's happened, and, you know, what's, the, what's going on, and, and so we don't repeat it, so we, we choose wisely. Now, obviously, Jesus chose wisely. It's just at this juncture, this is the eclipse of time. We are going from the period of Jesus specifically into the church age, into the time of Pentecost, which is next chapter, okay? And you can't address what you don't confess, like what you don't, and it's not just, oh, I confess everything to Jesus. The Bible says cover to cover. Yeah, you need to confess to Jesus, but you need to confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. James, Jesus' brother, writes that, who dies the martyr's death. But he means not just physical healing. You, confession is good for your soul. Like your doubts, your fears. Having safe community in which you can share that you got to have that. Well, Pastor Mike, my life is so awesome right now. <laughs> Give it time, baby. <laughs> Give it time. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers, he says, be sure that the ins and outs of your individuality are no mystery to him, and one day they'll no longer be a mystery to you. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? So true. So true. But when it comes to process, painful circumstances can draw us together. Notice how they all join together constantly in prayer. Notice, in prayer. Now, we have this whole campaign of 2020 prayer. We're praying for a campus pastor. You know we're praying for a campus pastor, right? Are you committed to praying for a campus pastor? Raise your hand right here in this section. Are you committed? You better be praying. You make this decision without prayer? Oh, sorry, share that. But go to newbreak.church forward slash info. You can get the guide. And the cool thing is we're all praying along a certain line. Like Pastor Marcus said, all week we've been praying for our families, which is really cool. It's really cool to do that together kind of thing. But I would just encourage you to do this. It's 20 days, 20 minutes of prayer. And uh, the little spreadsheet they have of prayer requests won't take you 20 minutes, but then it gets you going and kind of helps you lean into what we're praying about. It's super, super powerful. And I really want to encourage you because when it comes to pain, God is waiting for a seed to grow. I don't care how heinous it is. God's trying to teach me something, always. He doesn't plant it necessarily. Sometimes he does, but he doesn't plant it necessarily, but he's wanting it to grow. I always like to think of it as the fruit of the Spirit. What are they? What are fruit in the, of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, right? Gentleness, self-control, all those. He's trying to grow those in me. That's the acknowledge. That's the acknowledge. Then reading God's Word, R in art. Read God's Word. Read, Peter, he stands up and he quotes Psalm 69. He quotes one of the imprecatory psalms which is a psalm of justice, David writing. He's writing about a, a situation in his life. Peter pulls it and applies it to Acts chapter 1, 120 followers of Jesus in the choice of Matthias ultimately. Well, how does he know this stuff? What does he have, a scroll of Psalm 69 in his back pocket? He knows it because it's in him. The scripture has to get in you. I love this verse. This is one of my new verses I'm memorizing in the CEV, but I love parts of this verse. At the time I have decided, God speaking, my words will come true. I love that part. How many of you love that part? Raise your hand if you love that part. Like, that's a cool part, right? 
You can trust what I say about the future. Now, this part I don't like. <laughs> but I have to get it in me to exchange my stinking thinking. God says, it may take a long time, but keep on waiting. It will happen. Now, I, I, I struggle with that. God often takes too long for me. He just does. But I have to trust that he's doing something. Now, when I say read the Bible, I get it. That's like, oh my gosh, really just read my Bible. Oh, I'm going to give you some tools, okay? I'm going to give you a couple of tools. One is this. This is you version. Uh, Craig Rochelle and his team developed this. They gave it away to the world. It's the most powerful technological advancement that I know of in the kingdom of God. If you put your camera on the QR code, it'll pull you. Okay, you version is this giant environment, super simple. 50 versions of the Bible, awesome devotions, whatever. If you if you uh, put your camera on the QR code, it pulls you to new break inside of version. See, we have a group inside of version, and it's really cool. Honestly, Pastor Marcus just showed me about this. I sound like I'm a techie right now. I'm really not. He is. Anyway, now what's cool, and I've just noticed it in the past week, when I do my, because I do devotions in there, I just didn't know I had anybody else in there. <laughs> so it, it's like a group within a giant group, and any church can do this. So New Break has our own community inside of it. So it's cool. You can do devotions, and like people see what you read or thought or whatever, and it's not like they're going to, they can't see it and go, ooh, Pastor Mike didn't have his devotions today. It's not like that, okay? It's cool. So don't worry about it. It's really, really awesome. Now, this will be outside at the blue tent. You can, you can do it again. Hurry up. If you focus your camera on it, it'll just load. Right, Marcus? You have to click something. Yeah. But they'll all figure that out. You're talking to me. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to click something, Pastor Mike. I know. Okay, I'm going to move on to the next one. <laughs> I'm going to move on to the next one. If you text to 41411 and you text right now, new break, it uh, doesn't have to be bold and caps, it could be, you know, lower level, lowercase. No, yeah, it has to have a space, it has to have a space, right now, new break. If you do that, it'll take you to one of the most powerful digital tools I've ever seen besides your version, it's different. Uh, this environment, like let's say you wanted to uh, know about raising adolescents. I don't know, whatever. You can search inside of Right Now Media. Now, we pay for it as a church. It costs us several thousands of dollars a year. We have 1,465 unique users in Newbreak of Right Now Media. But once you sign up, and it'll just take you through that process, you get all of this for free. It's like crazy. Like if you wanted to do, like let's say you're dating, and you wanted to, you wanted to study with your uh, boyfriend or girlfriend, which would be amazing. I'm just saying. Let me just give you a little thing. Like, it'll be amazing that it, you type that in there, dating, and then it'll click to, like, all kinds of dating materials, like videos. You can watch them together on a date. What a, <laughs> what a crazy thing. But, like, some of our life groups use this as a curriculum, whatever. Anyway, you just text right now, new break to 41411. So those are tools, okay? Now, look at when things happen that don't make sense, do you look to God's scriptures to like delve into it and by the way if you don't like to read a new version you click audio play 
and it plays for you. You can listen to the Bible. Remember, in the first, again, history, right? In the first century, nobody had scrolls of Scripture. Only extremely wealthy people would have scrolls of Scripture, rabbis, so forth. The printing, this is, okay. Obviously, the printing press wasn't invented, okay? When was the Gutenberg press invented? I don't know either. Whatever. <laughs> A long time later. So, so they would listen to the Word of God. It was largely the um, dad's role in the family. Anyway, I was thinking this week of what you feel like right now. And I, I found this picture. I think that a lot of us feel like this. You know, we're just, we're just tired. And we feel like the weight of the world is on us. We feel like, like the pressure is on. How many of you are parents of kids? Yeah, you feel like this, huh? Last night, there was this military mom came in. She had a baby in a stroller that was, she was pushing. She had a baby on her hip that was, she was carrying. Not a baby, like a little bigger, but like maybe that big. And then she had that one on her hip. She was pushing the stroller, and she had another one. And I, yeah, the other one was like hanging onto the stroller, and that one could walk fine. And so... I saw her going down to the kids ministry. I go, oh, do you need some help, you know? <laughs> She's like, no, I'm, I got it, you know? And I walked her to the door and everything. But isn't that how we feel a lot of times? It's like that, right? Now, look, the last thing is trust. I don't want to take time with it uh, other than to pray with you. Marcus, can you come up to the keys? But I want, I want to go to the last slide. Can you take me to the last slide, Ron, full of questions? Uh, because it ultimately comes down to them trusting God. Jesus has left. This is pre-Pentecost. The Spirit has not come yet. They're picking Matthias with Yahtzee. Uh, there's a lot of feeling in the passage. There's a lot of forgiveness that's having to be given. And Like Peter, imagine. Pretty much they all know he was in the garden. He was in the courtyard of Caiaphas' home. When Jesus looked across the court after the trumpet had blown three times and, and they locked eyes, they know this story by now. They know that Jesus had to meet with him and help him with processing this past and forgiveness given and received. And all of them have been dealing just like us. You guys have to remember, we all have a little bit of Judas running around in us. It's about choices, right? It's about life. So I want you in community. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, you help us to trust. Help us to be people of the book, Lord. Help us to be people of scriptures. Help us to be people who are committed to our devotional lives. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you're sucking wind when it comes to your devotional life. It's okay, I get it. I struggle with it all the time. But you need prayer about that. You need to pray right now about your devotional life. Raise your hands. That's you. Okay, awesome. There's lots of us. The key is doing it, processing it. Okay? Some of us are sitting here. We need straight-up forgiveness. Maybe we've been running from God. Maybe we're new. Maybe whatever. But we just need forgiveness. Raise your hands. I need forgiveness from God right now. Raise your hands up. That's me, Pastor Mike. 
Okay, you can put your hands down. Now, there were a lot of you. Okay, so some of you, you're just beginning a relationship with Jesus. Others of you are in different places on that. But forgiveness is one of the most powerful things in our lives. Pastor Mike, don't I have to do something like to make amends or like to, you know, earn the trust back? That's all post-forgiveness from a biblical standpoint. You first get forgiven. Then you have the power of God in your life. And then, yes, it's a biblical principle to make amends. But you don't do it to earn forgiveness from God. You do it to make things right with your brother or your sister. Amends is horizontal, okay? Forgiveness is first. Grace wins. Grace wins. Grace triumphs. Grace is the deal. So let's pray together out loud, okay? Lord Jesus, I commit to you my time with you. I want to spend time with you. Help me with all these tools that are available to me to know your word, to get it in me. Bring me forgiveness. Lord, the Bible says that if I confess my sins, you are faithful and just, and you will forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from unrighteousness. So help me to lean into you right now. I thank you for loving even me, but also everybody around me. So help me to be a light this week. Help me to shine, shine your glory wherever I go. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do in 2020, no matter what. Help me stick close to you, Jesus, as close as I possibly can, and then do your miracle. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him a hand.